0: everybody. I appreciate your time for joining us today. My name is Eddie Chavez Calderon. I am the campaign organizer for Arizona Juice for Justice. Super happy to bring on another event for everybody that enriches, educates, and activates our community towards social justice and activism. Today, we are super excited to have Dr. Amish Shah, who will be joining us very shortly. We're having a little bit of tech issues right now, um, but he's going to be joining us very shortly, who I am happy to know and work with and collaborate with. Uh, on on our activism work and how do do we promote more community engagement. Uh, We're gonna go ahead and start us off with some Torah um, because we're gonna be really contextualizing the similarities between our faith communities really yawning for for that enrichment and that community engagement and and also having those medical practices to best stay safe. So we're going to first start off with some great Torah from my great mentor Rabbi Shmuel Yankelowitz, who's going to start us off with a quick Torah learning where they're going to move on to uh Dr. Amisha Shah who's going to oh it looks like he's here uh who's going to be uh, leading us in um, In our in our in our um, conclusion here and talk to us a little bit more about what's going on currently with this pandemic. And I think he's here. Hi, Dr. Amish. Thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate you so much. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and start this off again with uh, my great mentor, Rabbi Shmuel Yinkluitz, who's going to talk to us about uh, uh, talk to us about some Torah. Trying to co- uh, collectively put everything together into like our faith. Why is this important? Why now? So, Rabbi, go ahead and take it away. Thanks, Eddie. And thanks for pulling this together. And
1: great to see everyone. Thank you for joining us. You know, we envisioned this uh, program in response to the Haredi protests in Brooklyn because we saw that some people might be confused about the Jewish position on such matters because they saw that there were ultra-Orthodox Jews out in the street who were protesting against um, public health precautionary measures. And so we wanted to um, put out there a little bit of clarity as to what we understand as a Torah perspective, as a Jewish perspective, which intersects with our social justice mandates from our tradition as well, as to just on a basic level how we think about these health issues in relationship to other uh, in relationship to other human needs. And so I'm just going to share a few words of Torah, and then Dr. Mishah, our friend Dr. Dr. Shah, is going to share um, uh, a little bit of a reminder of what many of us may have read and may have heard about precautions, and then we'll open it up for some questions and thoughts. So let me start, before I say a few of the halachic and, and moral uh, mandates, something theological, which is I, I believe that the dominant thrust of Jewish thought Thought. Of course, there's many different eras and many different ideas that emerge in different time periods and different locations. But the dominant thrust um, widely can assume, ain't ode Milvado, right? That there that there's nothing but God in the world, which is to say there's no duality of, of body and spirit. There's no duality of, of mind uh, and matter. There's no there's no binary. Of, of body and soul. I know we like to talk about the physical world and the spiritual world, but once we say Anode milvado*, everything is Hakadosh baruch, everything is God, that means there is no it, it, it's an illusion. There's monism. Right? Everything is God. And that is to say, <coughs> excuse me, to take care of the body, to take care of the body is not some hedonistic,, um, you know, overly physically concerned, um, uh, vain enterprise. Yes, there are, there are vain enterprises associated with physicality, but to take care of one's physical self is in a sense to take care of God's image. When we talk about every human being created, by in the image of God, it's unclear what we're talking about. Are we talking about the body? Are we talking about free will? Are we talking about, about the capacity for reason? Are we talking about the human capability with speech? right? There's a whole bunch of different ways that Jewish thinkers have thought about what creates, what makes humans in the image of God. And yet all of that is, the, is about the whole self. The whole individual self, not bracketed, the whole self is in the image of God, which is to say that t- to take care of one's life is a, theolo- is a theological enterprise. It's the enterprise of preserving God's image in the world. Okay, so that's the first bit. The second bit, a concept that we've heard of many times but is worth reminding us, is that pikuach nefesh, saving life, outweighs all mitzvot, with the exception of three. right? That is to say, um, and those three, as a reminder, are murder, um, idolatry, and uh, and a, a form of sexual immorality. So this is to say, if somebody says, Rabbi Shmuley, I want you to eat this pork or I'll kill you. My answer is, pass the barbecue sauce. Give me some barbecue sauce. I'd love to have it. You know, that's easy, easy one. If they say, kill this person or I'll kill you, right? Then I have to say, I'm sorry, you'll have to kill me because I can't kill to save my own life, right? And so by and large, we say, v'chai behem. V'chai behem in the Torah means vote are about life. They're about life. We, it's about the value of life. Right? We live through the mitzvot. We don't die on behalf of them. Yes, tragically, there have been Jewish martyrs who have had to die for being Jews. But the, the mitzvot are about the affirmation of life, the sanctity of life, and about living through them, rather than saying, we're going to ignore public health protocol because we have other religious mandates we, have, we want to presume. Now, what's interesting also, if you look at Devarim 415, Deuteronomy, 415, the only time the word me'od is used in the Torah in a halachic sense, me'od means like a lot or very, um, is meod right? You should guard, basically, you should guard your health. That is the only time in a legalistic sense the Torah re- uses the emphatic word me'od, right? It says, OK, you, these other stuff, you should do it all. But here, you really got to pay attention, right? Take care of yourself. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. Now, it's interesting because many of us weren't like Dr. Shaw or other public health uh, um, or medical professionals here on the call, where we didn't have the mitzvah, pikuach nefesh. How many of us had the chance to save lives? It's, it's very hard to save a life, right, if you're not a medical professional. OK, you donate some money. You hope you're saving a life, right? You wait for some moment. You're going to push the guy out of the way of the car, right? Maybe you do the Heimlich in a moment in a restaurant. Someone's choking. You get this rare moment to save a life. And now, all of a sudden, right? There are these easy ways for us to save lives, right? There are these ways that we understand that we may be responsible for killing or saving, literally thousands of lives, based upon our own uh, our own personal responsibility. So I could talk all day about this issue of public health, and the intersection of health and of body and of Torah. But I felt that we needed to respond to these protests, which said, we really need to be in the yeshiva right now. We really need to be in the shul in mass right now. We reject the government's uh, limitations on our wedding sizes. To say this is, it, this is I would never say it's not Torah, because I think Torah has many faces. But I think this is not authentic Torah. I think this is not authentic Torah, which is very clear that public health has a major responsibility. in. Um, and I think it's a chilah Hashem. I think it's a chilah Hashem, a desecration of God's name, to suggest that we should reject uh, governmental and medical protocol in favor of some abstract re- uh, religious mandates. So with that, I want to pause. I'm available for the Q&A also, so that we can we can learn from Dr. Shaw, Eddie.
0: Thank you so much, Rabbi Shmuley. Yeah, and, and now we're going to go ahead and transition uh, to Dr. Amish. But first, I want to give you all a little bit of a bio of, of Dr. Amish before we go forth. Not only is he our personal friend uh, who who we're happy to, to have in support, but Amish was born and raised in Chicago with his mother and father who were engineering students who immigrated from India in the 1960s. His father is Jain and his mother is Hindu, and he attended a Catholic school from uh, k 12. He attended Northwestern University in Evanston and graduated cum laude in the Bachelor of Arts and Economics. He graduated from Northern Northwestern University in the medical school as part of the honors program in medical education. Everybody, I'd love to introduce to you my friend Amish, um, uh, Dr. Amish Shah, who's here uh, to educate us. Dr. Amish, give us an update. How are we doing? Are we spiking? What is going on in this pandemic right now?
2: Um, <clears throat> First, uh, I, I just want to say thank you, <laughs> Eddie. It's, uh, you, you guys are absolutely wonderful. The work you guys do uh, and, and uh, just following you guys is, is a real joy. Uh, uh, and Rabbi, thank you. Thank you for the words. Uh, very enlightening. I, I certainly learned something from, from everything you're talking about. And, and I'm, I'm just, I'm sort of glad to hear it. Um, I, uh, th- those of you on the call don't know, I, I've uh, known of, rabbi uh for a longer time than i've known rabbi we we actually had a friend in common way back when when he was in new york city and i was in new york city and uh we actually had a chance to have uh a a real nice uh lunch also with eddie like just i think it was like a year ago was it not yeah Uh, yeah yeah so uh we've had a we've had a real chance to connect and i and i've just heard so many amazing things about uh how you guys as an organization do your work but but also rabbi shmuley like your your own personal work and and how much you've done to advance the causes of justice in your lifetime and it's truly pretty inspiring so if those that don't know like all his background and everything he's done before this it's it's pretty remarkable stuff we're very lucky to be on a call with somebody like him um so I want to say, I want to say, um, with regard to um, the, the public health issues that, that we're bringing up, um, that, that we're, we're in a place right now where we are seeing again in Arizona, as well as really all, all the rest of the country, that the cases once again are spiking. We, have, <clears throat> we had a huge spike in the summer. And at its peak, there were about 5000 cases per day in Arizona. Uh, the, the death rate from those cases was lower than we have seen in other parts of the country. I think part of the reason for that is the demographics. We, we noticed that younger people were getting this. And of course, younger as we know, age is one of those, um, the, probably one of the biggest risk factors. The, the older you get, it, it seems to exponentially increase the, the death rate. Whereas um, what, what, what happened in Arizona, we, we had a little uh, lead time from New York City and we learned some lessons from that, specifically that elderly. The, the more elderly segments of our population should be kept segregated uh, in order to keep them as safe as possible. And so so putting some of that into practice, I mean, some of it was done through actual state government policy. Some of it was done independently, voluntarily. Pe- people themselves knew, uh, hey, we're, we're, we're not, you know, we're at risk. We know we're at risk. We're not going out. And that helped keep people safe. So it, we, we had that spike. Things kind of you know, went down and, and there are several reasons for that, but, but, um, you know, some of it is the the natural course of it, you're, you're going to have a peak and it'll go down as it, it, uh, all those people that are out and about tend to get it more often, tend to get it. And of course our, our public health measures all come in. They, they, they brought the curve down and now we're seeing a little bit of a, a spike again across the country. We've set new records in the last week with the number of coronavirus cases. Um, a lot of that, some of that is Arizona. A lot of it isn't Arizona, though, because it is in some of the places that had never really gotten hit all that well. And and so now we're seeing um, more of that. Um, some people have argued that and school started. And and so, you know, we're, we're starting to see people. Uh, mix a little bit more. We're also perhaps um, witnessing some fatigue um, from people that said, you know, I, I just I, I I've had enough, and then they're being a little more lax than than they used to be earlier on. So there are various causes that, that we think are, are is pushing uh, this forward. I, I so and and then when you look at the death rate in this spike that we've seen, it, it, is, it is less than we have seen. So in the summer, if you, if you looked at how many people were dying per day, it was higher than it is now. Um, and again, that might be because of who gets it, um, where they get it. And, and then also <clears throat> the fact that we have made some advances with regard to the treatment of it. We, we know that certain things work. Remdesivir is, is a drug that we've been giving. Condolescent plasma is a drug we've been giving. Um, there is dexamethasone, which, which is shown to work in the moderate to severe. Folks, I mean, all these, all these things are given to, to folks that are moderate to severe rather than, than all those mild cases. So, and, and then <clears throat> we've discovered, believe it or not, flipping people back and forth over like a fish, uh, proning them and making them supine while they're on a ventilator seems to do some real good. So these are, these are the kinds of things that, that have been happening and that might, <clears throat> those things also might drop the death rate even if the same number of people were being intubated. So that's kind of a, a, a broad 25,000 foot view of what's going on. I think that um, we, we also um, have to continue to ask ourselves, like Rabbi Muli mentioned, what can we do to help save lives, and again, it comes down to just making your personal contribution. The, the the best thing you can do, wearing a mask, is is really really important because it it it, it masks are not perfect. We we know that um, masks, however, do in the studies that have been sh- done and the evidence that we do have, significantly do reduce the rate of transmission, and and so you could have it, not know that you have it. And and just by being out and about in your community with your family and friends, give it to grandma who's next to you at the the grocery store and and cause a really bad outcome. So so it it is not definitive and perfect, but uh, when applied across an entire community, certainly makes a big difference. I have a feeling I, I may not, I have too many people on this call that disagree with me on, on any of this. Uh, so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm throwing it out there, but I also want you to spread that to everybody in your networks. And, and I think that that's important. I think Rabbi Shmuley brings up this this idea that there are certain groups and certain populations that have been a little more resistant to that, and perhaps for some some other reasons, perhaps based based in Religious interpretation. Um, and I certainly get the fact that um, we're a very pluralistic society. And, and even within one particular religion, you can be very pluralistic. I, I get that. Um, I, I, I don't know if I, I Rabbi Shmuley, I think I mentioned that, that I did, uh, it was about a year ago that I, I went to Israel. And we spent about uh, two weeks there as part of the Arizona Israeli trade delegation. We opened up a, a trade office there. And, and of course, you, you spend a little bit of time and, and understand. We, we met several uh, famous politicians. We were invited to the foreign ministry to, to sit and ask questions of, of you know, high-ranking government officials. Um, and, and truly, it was a remarkable experience. What, what they did for us and, and how they treated us as their guests was uh, amazing. Besides, of course, doing all the touristy things that you would do and in, 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 uh, being out late in Tel Aviv, right? Um, but but um, you, you you get the fact that that actually Israel itself is also dealing with some of the challenges that, that you mentioned, um, and then they're 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 sort of working through that. So I I, I appreciate everything you're saying, and I and I'm I, I I hope that people take what you're saying to heart because it is it is crucial. It's it's people's lives that are at stake, and and we we just we're on the cusp. Also, what, what makes this particularly poignant today is the fact that we are on the cusp of a vaccine. So if you saw this morning, the news that Pfizer released their data on the preliminary data on the phase three trial, which by the way, I am a part of, I, I, I volunteered for that trial. Um, and they, they said that 90% of, of the people who got it were in the placebo arm, which is, which is absolutely wonderful, meaning, meaning that the vaccine is really efficacious. Not only, I mean, that's the big thing we needed to know. We knew, we, we already got the sense that it was very, very safe because in 40,000 people in the phase three trial, and then all the people in the phase one and two trials before that, we have not seen any serious adverse results. And then to get a result saying 90% of people are, are safe, I mean, are, are, are pre- they're preventing these COVID infections is just going to be a, multiply that across society. And you're talking about a lot of life saved a lot of people, you're talking about hundreds of thousands if not millions of people uh, saved from, from this virus, saved from death. And and so we're, we're just now on the cusp of it. And, and Pfizer, the way this is gonna work, Pfizer is going to ask for an emergency authorization based on their data, they'll have it reviewed, there'll be some peer review first, there's some steps um, that scientists always do. And then they're gonna go to the FDA <clears throat> They're going to ask for it. They've already been working before this thing was even ready. They're, they're going to be working on the. They've been working on the distribution. So we know we have distribution networks and arrangements already being made. So we're, we're so close to just getting everybody a, a vaccine um, and, and, and putting an end to this. And what a shame it would be to lose people's lives right when we're nearing the finish line and, and almost have the answer. And, 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 and I hope that, that, that also sinks into people's heads. It, what a travesty to lose somebody when, when the, the answer, when the vaccine is, is about to come in about a month or two or three. And, and then that's, um, what I want to leave you with. I, I, I want to leave you with some measure, message of hope that, that, um, we're 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 gonna get through this. We 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 are almost at the finish line. Let's let's not give up right before um, it. We, we're uh, about to to take care of this once and for all. So um, with that, I I, I want to open it up. If anybody has any questions or. Thank you. Comments or arguments. <laughs> yeah,
0: arguments. Yeah. Uh, we're going to deny science right now and everybody's going to go after you. <laughs> got it, got uh, okay, so we have a couple of questions that were brought upon um, beforehand and as well as I encourage folks to uh, write on the chat your questions here. Again, the presentation initially was till that half hour mark, you are welcome to stay for the, the discussion to continue. We continue, We hope folks can stay on. Uh, but the first question is for Rabbi Shmuley. And this is a question, uh, what do you say to the faith communities who are like, listen, we need to be together to be able to to worship, to be able to um, feel God, to be able to be united. Those folks who are like, you know what, I need to be with my friends and family for Shabbos dinner. What do you tell folks? Uh, And I know that other people are getting ready for for other holiday events and um, our community just got off of high holidays. What do you tell the the faith community, the Jewish community, the the more uh, orthodox community, who are saying, you know what, we're gonna, we're just gonna do what we want, and we're gonna hang out, and we're gonna worship together. Oh, you're on mute, Rabbi. You're on mute.
1: Sorry about that. (laughs) You think you think this this many months on Zoom, I I wouldn't forget such things. So great question. Just uh, two things as a segue. In first. One thing that I hear among people of all groups, um, young people, from young people is, oh, this doesn't affect me, you know? Like I'm young, I'm safe, and we've heard this for so long. And this is like the most un-Jewish thing someone can say, right? That as if like um, seniors' lives don't matter, right? And first of all, it's wrong on the science level that they're okay, you know, being younger. That that, Yes, there may be lower risk. But secondly, the idea that, that transmitting to someone who is, who is older is any less of a problem, has any less human dignity, someone who's 70, or 80, or 90, than someone who's 20, is such an anti-Jewish, anti-religious thing uh, that is just you know, um, unfathomable. And you know, and in a segue to your point, I think many often talk about the debate between science and religion, science and faith. And I think Judaism, Jewish thought largely, and we just lost Rabbi Jonathan Sachs this, this last week, he wrote a, he wrote a great book on this um, that Jewish thought does not have to be seen as at odds with science right this idea of faith versus science as if they're opposites is something that I think is foreign to, to most of Jewish thought um, that these are science is a tool that is helpful to understand the world uh, we, we have a whole class we have a whole series of learning coming up this coming year of science and religion and it's not framed as a debate as opposites but how they inform each other how they you know how these tools enhance the fullness of our human experience. Um, in fact, the notion of revelation isn't only from Sinai, right? That Har Sinai revelation emerges daily. In fact, to the extent that the gematria for the name of God for Elohim is the same as Teva, the, the, the numerology of the word for nature is the same numerical value as the name of God, which in a Spinoza sense means nature is God. But you don't have to go that way, you can merely say nature is a revelation of divinity in the world, right? Okay, but now to your specific point here, I think that there, I would say two things. For, for those who really need to be in community, which I understand with rising mental illness, uh, mental health challenges, and people who deeply, um, deeply rely on communal existence, who pray in, in Minyan multiple times a day, or can't imagine not having a bar bat mitzvah or bris in, in public, whatever the case is. The first thing is, thankfully, there are ways to do this according to protocol. Dr. Fauci has spoken to the Orthodox Union and other, others like, like him, and Dr. Shaw, who, um, who have shared. There are, there are ways to be in public spaces, indoors, outdoors, with masks, with distancing, w- with limited numbers, where things can be possible. That's the first thing for those who need it. The second thing I would say is what a rare opportunity to, to step back from how we normally do things and experience spirituality, experience religious life in a fundamentally different way than we ever have before. I, I spent this first Rosh Hashanah in Yom Kippur of my life not going, a, not going to a synagogue. And it was remarkable. I can't wait to go back, but it was remarkable to have an alternative experience, to, 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 to think about how to, how to do such things. Um, and so I think that um, it, the Jewish law is clear that the value of being in a minyan or being in community or being at a Shabbat table in no way overrides the value of life. And on a psychological level, I think it's a chance for us to grow and experience alternative uh, forms
0: of religious life. Thank you so much, Rabbi Shmuley. This question is for uh, Dr. Shah. What is your estimate on the potential threat of our emergency rooms and the personnel getting overloaded soon, like in examples that we have seen in Utah? Um,
2: So excellent question. here, so if we're talking about Arizona particularly, um, I I will tell you that I, I am I'm less concerned than I was in the summer. In the summer, we had um, gotten up to about ninety one percent ICU capacity before things started to make their way down. I thought that was a really scary and tenuous point. I mean, at, at I mean again, and hundred uh, percent, you'd think we have a little nine percent to go. It doesn't really. work way, right? There's, there's a little fuzziness in there because, you know, people, beds have to be cleaned and, and all that kind of stuff. So, so there's some logistics involved. So you're, you're at about 91%, you're really reaching full capacity. And this is after we already expanded capacity. Um, this time around, um, assuming that we don't get, we, we, we continue with our, our practices of keeping, especially seniors, very safe. Um, I don't, and I'm not anticipating, I am not anticipating actually seeing the, the resources dwindle to the point where we would be in an, an emergency, uh, uh, like a point where we would have to ration care, deny care. I, I really do not think that that's going to happen. In the emergency departments during the, the, um, the summer wave, um, we were certainly busy. We saw a lot of COVID, but the emergency departments themselves were not overwhelmed the way the ICUs were, whelmed, or were overwhelmed. And, and I want you guys to keep that in mind. I, I heard this a couple of times from people saying that I, I'm worried that if I go to the ER, they, they won't see me. I'll be in a waiting room. I'll be in the waiting room for too long. Now, it did happen in New York. That, that, that's, a, that's a whole other. In the tri-state area up there, that, that did happen. Here in Arizona... We did not have so many of those problems. And I think given everything we've even learned from that point and the fact that I think any second wave that comes, um, and I can't guarantee this, but I, but I think it probably will, would not be as big as the first wave comes. So it's, it, it is, I'm, I'm telling you, it's less of a concern for me. I, I can't guarantee that. that. That remains to be seen. But a lot of the, the you know, our experience has taught us that, that that's what's going to happen.
0: Thank you, thank you. And and
2: by the way, so as far as resources are concerned, ICU beds were the resource that was more most closely followed in Arizona. It wasn't the you know we, the ventilators. We we actually had them. The the PPE, yeah, it was a little spotty at first, but eventually we we did kind of smooth that out a little bit. It was the ICU bed capacity, and and, and a lot of that all. So believe it or not, that key resource that follows very closely. It's not just the physical bed space, but you have to, a bed is not a bed until it's a staff bed. And so you need an ICU nurse, you need an, an intensivist, uh, and, and you need other people like respiratory techs in order to serve that patient. And, and those are things that, that uh, you know, the healthcare uh, folks here, the hospital systems, did a pretty good job of of getting us to a, a very high peak and, and getting us down off it without ever having to really ration care. And I got to tell you, that is a that was a really big victory in the summer.
0: Thank you, Doctor Amish. The next question is going to be for Rabbi Shmuley. Rabbi, what do you tell people who say, "I'll leave it up to faith"? Uh, if if I get infected, I get infected. It it is what it is. Uh, what do you, what do you tell those folks? <laughs> You know, um, it reminds me of that old
1: joke we've all heard a bunch of t- times of the guy who's drowning and the lifeboat comes and he says, go away, God will save me. And the lifeboat comes again. No, no, God will save me. And the third time, no, no, go away, God will save me. And then he drowns and he goes to heaven and, and says, God, why don't you save me? And God says, I sent you three lifeboats, you know? <laughs> so it's like, how does God act in the world? Like, and, and what is it that we use as um, divine help? And here I would say, like, there are different, um, you know, valid theologies and, and um, I mean, a, a Jewishly authentic theologies. And one most certainly is that everything God controls. And that's not, um, uh, and that there is basically no free will. And that's not my personal theology, but that does emerge um, very fervently in Jewish thought that in fact, faith is most central. Um, and we just rely on God for what is good. Um, but I, I, but I, I'm much more convinced by the strand of Jewish thought, uh, which either thinks that God has completely removed, um, God's control over the world in a process of Tsimsum and that this world is a part of human responsibility, or that there is in Musar a, uh, a, a balance between hishtadlu and betachon, between human striving and effort and letting go and trusting, right? There's things we control and we work really hard. And there's things we don't control and we learn how to let go of control. To me, the faith has to do with all that which we cannot control, right? The realm where um, we don't just have faith it will all be good, but we have faith that we can continue to walk on the path of integrity with what we can control and know that that's all we can do. And so those who, um, what, what is clearly not a Jewish position, I know it's a, it's a lot to say it's not a Jewish position. I mean, is not a part of the dominant thrust of, of any Jewish uh, you know intellectual history is the idea that you go against the core of Jewish values and laws and principles in order to uh, because some notion of faith uh, outweighs it right I'm going to murder because I have faith in God I'm going to uh, I'm going to steal because I have faith we don't do something we know to be wrong out of some abstract notion of faith it doesn't make any sense and so um, I, I think that really applies here too. Um, that we have to do our part. We have to do our part. It's a divine human partnership.
0: Thank, thank you so much, Rabbi. We have another question. This one's gonna be for uh, Dr. Amish. Uh, it says, um, here it is. Do, uh, doctor, uh, the distribution process of vaccine, heard this morning some concerns from CNN, I think, about using the traditional distribution process. Uh, not reaching some non majority uh, non majority groups your comments, please include what can be done to reach those groups i'm assuming he's talking about on uh, this is from Jose he's talking about how do we get vaccines and access to uh, predominantly minority and underrepresented communities.
2: Yeah, That that's um, that's a that's a wonderful question. Um, so some, I, I'm going to break it down into, into two things. One is that there is, I mean, if you're talking about like more of the physical distribution of it, um, some of it has to do with making sure that people get to the places where this thing is distributed. So sometimes it could be distributed at, at CVS or at Walgreens and, and, you know, everybody comes in for their shots as necessary. The other big way in which we've traditionally done these things is through your primary medical doctor. And what, what happens is that what, what happens if you don't have one? What, if, what happens if you don't have insurance what what happens if you, you have it but haven't really established those those ties um, as we know it's it's very often in, in the United States it's tied to your employment um, that those those are real serious concerns and and that's where good public policy steps in to say hey wait a minute who who are we who are we missing and and why and and what can we do to address those things I think one of the things that we we do do we, we do have within many of these communities um, people such as promotoras. I've met people um, who, in in specifically the Latino community, do that, um, and and it's it's they're they're there because they're they're trusted, um, which which brings me to my second point, which is that some of the sentiment you hear is, is also one of mistrust in institutions, which is another thing that we have to um, be able to bridge. Um, people have to feel as as though um, we're, we're bringing something of value to them and, and not actually bringing something of harm. Um, and, and that happens through having people that, that actually live and work in those communities uh, make sure to get that message out within those communities. I, I'd like to think that within um, the, the, the party that I'm in and the, and the group, you know, uh, uh, those of us down at the Capitol, we, we really try to get into those communities. We, we make our, our, our presence felt so that people don't say, hey, that's just, who is that? That's a stranger. Uh, we, we try to be people that, that everyone's like, oh yeah, we, we know that person. And, and uh, that's, that's what causes, that's what starts from the top all the way down. Um, I, I, um, you know, it, it brings up an interesting point because I'm, I'm in this vaccine trial, right? So I signed up about two months ago and this is the Pfizer trial that I'm in. And, um, as the trial was kind of wrapping up, they had said, well, I said, well, I I certainly know a lot of people. Do you, are you still recruiting and do you, do you need more people? And they said, yes, absolutely. Um, of course, they have to meet some of the inclusion criteria, which is that you, you have to be out and about and, and, and actually interacting with other people because they don't want people who are just just hanging out at home. That, that doesn't serve the trial very well. So if anybody in healthcare or you're a grocery store worker or even real estate agents, teachers, things like that, people who have contact as part of their employment, they're, they're looking for those kinds of people. But, the one, but But they did say as far as demographics were concerned that Latinos, Black people, indigenous people and Asian Americans were underrepresented in, in the, the vaccine study process. So that then you have to start asking I mean, it, it brings up this very point, why? Why is that? Some of it has to do with the level of trust. I, I, I know that that's the case. I, they and, and so on that point, I asked them, well, who is overrepresented? They actually said physicians were overrepresented in the trial. So those of us who are physicians who are comfortable with understanding science data and all this, we were all like, yeah, hey, me, 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 I want to be in. And um, so, so, and, and that's, that's you, you can see that, you can understand that, why that is. So part of what I did was, was went to my um, colleagues in the House of Representatives who do are members of those, those demographic groups, and I said, hey, I, I think it's really important that you guys think about, well, it's a personal choice. Okay. It's an an experimental product. It's not for everybody. Uh, I'm glad it's proven to be safe at this point, but, but, you know, think about being the one to step forward and serve humanity in this way, because if you do it, then it'll, it'll mean that people will follow you and follow your example in, in those very communities that you serve. And it's important that we know whether these vaccines work in those populations, right? We, we, we think they would because race isn't, an important factor in terms of biology this way, really, that's our medical teaching and training. But, but again, you, you you don't always know for sure. And you want to make sure that, that, that a broad section of society is represented in the study. That's important. And, and we all know about the history of Tuskegee. If, if those of you don't know, there's some really horrible things in United States history that happen in the name of research to minority populations. I mean, in fact, it's, you can't get through medical school without knowing what, what those things are. So, um, Right now, they are actually still enrolling for two trials at the HOPE Research Institute where, where I did the, the Pfizer, well, where I'm in that Pfizer, Pfizer trial. So the Pfizer and the Moderna trial are both um, done with enrollment, but the AstraZeneca trial, and then there's one more, and I can't remember the name of it. Those two are actually still going to be ongoing. And once again, I'm going to put the call out there and say, hey, the people of those demographic groups, please, we'd love to see you get into that because then you can look, it's, it's, if you're comfortable and if, if, if this is something you, you can choose to do as a volunteer, then it, it really does help the idea and spread the idea of comfortability, um, with institutions such as, um, yes, I know it's a big pharma company, but, but what I mean is scientists and the scientific process in general, is that we're we're comfortable with it, and we know that we we're doing this to move humanity forward. Because I, I certainly am comfortable with all the the brilliant efforts that scientists across the world have made in this way. So I, I hope that kind of answers that question.
0: Thank you, thank you, thank you. We're gonna go right above because you're getting quite a few uh, questions here, uh, Dr. Amish. Uh, the next question is: Is it safe to go for uh, go for general medical checkups, or would you hold off until there is a vaccine? Uh, mammograms, physical, dermatologists, et cetera?
2: Yeah. Um, so it's, it's a, that's a great question. Um, there's nothing that's, that's quite so risk-free as staying in your house and never going out. <laughs> um, we know anything you do other than that it, it incurs some amount of risk. Um, and I think we, we, we have to be kind of honest about that. Uh, that's different from going to a very crowded bar with a bunch of younger people in July of this past year. That's a, that's a, those are two totally different risk scenarios. Um, and somewhere in there, there are some things that, that I think we can do to make ourselves as safe as possible. So I, I tell people, look, indoors is worse than outdoors. Okay. Um, second, um, if you're going to go, then, go to places where you know that the, the proper protocols are being followed. So most of the time, and I can't speak for every doctor's office, but you go into a doctor's office, they, they are wearing PPE. They are making sure to take care of their own staff and employees to make sure that they're not, you know, um, infectious. And, and those people would, would ask be asked, hey, take a couple weeks off and come back. Um, and then um, you yourself contributing to that, as we talked about earlier, using, you know, a mask and and just being careful, staying six feet apart from people. Um, So, but, but when it comes to specifically this question and asking about medical care, then there is a a real benefit to your health from going to the appointment. So, so that's, you have to weigh, I mean, I, I, you have to make that decision for yourself, weighing that risk versus the, the risk of not going to your healthcare provider and possibly missing something that's really important for you, you know, and then the vaccine's coming. So um, can you, I mean, if you're, if you're really that concerned uh, and especially with your risk profile, are you older? Do you have medical problems such as diabetes, hypertension, obesity has, has been shown to be a risk factor um, and uh, cardiovascular disease in general. So if those are the kinds of things you have, perhaps you're a little more worried than, it would mean either taking more precautions or perhaps delaying it, um, you know, and, and, and that's, a, that's a long answer without a whole lot of specifics for, for, for the person. So I would say do everything you can and be careful. Um, you, you, uh, the risk is not zero of picking it up, but there's probably ways of doing that and doing it in a safe way where you can get the benefit of your health while taking only a minimal risk.
0: Thank you so much. This question is for Rabbi Shmuley. Rabbi, what do you, t- what message of hope do you give to people when they're like, you know what, I don't see this ever ending. When is this going to end? I want to see my family. I want to see my kids. I want to be around my friends. They're they're overwhelmed with anxiety. They feel like this isn't going away. Uh, what do you what do you tell people? How do you uh, provide some sort of console? Uh, and maybe we can help replicate that as well by providing some sort of support to our own friends.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Wow. I mean, that, like, talk about that for hours. Um, but I'll just say two quick things. One is that one of my favorite midrashim, but one of my favorite rabbinic sources is that Miriam, Miriam, while they were Mamish still slaves in Mitzrayim, they were still slaves in Egypt. She packs her instruments. She packs her, they say time to go. Her instruments are already packed. Instruments. What do you need that for? They didn't even have time to bake chalas. They had matzahs. And she packs her instruments because... He said, I know we're gonna get to the other side and I'm not even gonna get there. We're gonna get to liberation joyfully. We're gonna get to liberation joyfully. We're gonna have our instruments ready, even in the moment of terror and of trauma, that we're gonna be ready because our eyes are on the prize, our eyes are on the prize. And so that we can get through scary things joyfully. I know that's a lot easier said than done. And part of that is thinking about in our own lives, how do we pack our instruments? How do we pack our instruments to be on the other side of the stormy waters? Um, <laughs> and the truth is this last moment of this last week of experiencing threats on democracy, and then in some ways feeling on the other, the other side of some threats to, get to democracy can have that, can reinstill that sense of um, that, that there's light at the end of tunnels, that there is uh, hope at the end of despair. So that's the first thing I wanna say. The second thing is, I do think that hope is not some kind of abstract thought experiment but something that um, we can on a daily basis cultivate through truly having joyful experiences, that give us a taste of what it would have, be more immersed in such experiences. And so I would encourage us to really to engage in self care, to engage in things every day where we're spiritually taking care of ourselves, physically taking care of ourselves, things that bring us joy that fill us up because that feeling, whether it's for 30 seconds, it's for a minute, it's for an hour, that feeling of, of, of hope, of joy, of meaning, of learning, of connectedness, even on a small level, those that feeling can, I think, help us to persevere uh, towards uh, a time period where we can be more immersed in such emotional states.
0: Thank you, Rabbi, that was, that was so helpful. Um, this question is from Barbara Lukowitz for uh, Dr. Amish. She said, Should we be concerned for our disabled friends and our neighbors because they are additionally vulnerable to COVID?
2: Um, great question. Um, it, um, I I will say it, it, it will depend on the disability disabilities come in a lot of different, um, types and, and it, it, it will really depend. Um, we know that people with chronic medical problems do tend to fare worse. There are also logistical issues that that make that harder for for people to get the care they need. Even even if you know had the same risk profile, they, they would get the care that they need and be able to um, follow up and and um, just just have the outcomes that. Uh, people that are not disabled would. Um, It's not as easy to just pick up and go to the doctor's office. It's not as easy to just go get that COVID test and keep yourself protected in the same way. Um, So, and then there are, you know, I, I, because we have a, a very, very good friend in common uh, who teaches me a lot about the disability community and the challenges, we know that there are also other things that that actually increase exposure such as, you know, people having to come to your house, et cetera. So um, the answer really is in what what are the, the um, actual factors? Like I said, the, the risk factors are, are you know, the, the ones we just mentioned uh, on the prior question. Um, and, um, there, there may be some people with disabilities that don't necessarily have a, a, a higher risk. Uh, and, but, but I do think that there's, there's a significant proportion that, that would, and, and that's, um, it's, it, it kind of is done on an individual case by case basis.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, another question, have you been seeing any alarming, um, aftermaths or um things that are coming out of people having COVID-19 like things showing up afterwards
2: um are you talking about like longer term copy complications like long haul or what, what are known as the correct. long haulers correct yeah um it's a it's not a good virus it's it's a it's a terrible disease it it um we we don't understand exactly how it seems to do this, but it can attack almost any organ in the body. So we've we've seen people with complications in the, the the central nervous system, in 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 the gut, in in their skin and soft tissues. You know, besides just the lungs, which are of course the primary organ targeted. Besides just the lungs, we're, we're seeing this just about everywhere. There's a thought that it it might have something to do with, the the vascular system. So your, your arteries, veins, but more importantly, those little tiny capillaries all over the place seem to get clogged up. And we seem to be getting these, these little blood, tiny, tiny little blood clots all over, uh, causing tissue damage just about everywhere. Um, so it's, um, it's caused complications to your question in in all kinds and shapes and sizes that, that we never would have expected from a, a coronavirus from, from a, 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 you know, we've seen prior coronaviruses before, but what we haven't seen is these people that are left with uh, mostly respiratory um, issues afterward, where there's a chronic cough, there's scarring in the lungs and, you know, all the attendant problems with that having to take inhalers now and just not having the same athletic, reserve capacity right so you know you used to be able to run a mile and now you can only run a half or whatever the heck it is so some of that um so it's 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 taken a a real toll um fortunately it seems that most people their bodies do eventually get past these things if they do survive the virus they, they are getting past these things but yes it's a it's a real thing now the rates I, I don't have a great scientific source for you. It, a lot of time, I mean, it takes us time to study these things and figure out like, you know, wh- where is it attacking and, and, and what, but, but the, the literature is replete with the, the numbers and types of cases that we've seen that where this virus is doing just about everything.
0: Thank you. Now I, I have those, uh, a question that you, you may find humor into it, but what do you react uh, when people tell you or where people completely share well this is just the flu it's only the flu what do you tell those folks do you <laughs> begin, begin to deconstruct that rhetoric that this is just the flu uh, and it's as common as it
2: uh no it's not <laughs> it's not the flu it never was the flu um i i i could I could talk to you for a, a little bit about this, but but I'll 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 leave it at this. First of all, the the flu, as it comes around every single year, certainly does kill people. Um, it it there's a there's a certain number of people that die every year from the flu, but um, never have we had a flu where we've had to, you know, like if you look at the images from Italy and New York City and and even from China, we've had a flu where all of a sudden we were just filling up hospital beds everywhere and and had to you know, calling the cavalry and, and, and just suddenly people getting so ill so fast, um, that, that is not the, the way the flu goes. The the flu also tends to hurt people who already have chronic medical problems, extremes of age, things, things of that nature. But one of the things, if you work in healthcare, you get this right away is that COVID-19 is the proximate cause of death and disability and, and harm to people, whereas the flu, it, it is there, but it, it, it does hurt people with those conditions. But in many cases, the flu is hurting a lot of people that were suffering from a lot of chronic medical problems anyway, Where, whereas this disease seems to be taking people who ordinarily would have just shrugged off a flu and, and really bringing them pretty close to death. And, and that's, that's something that every healthcare person understands and knows. And I think that that sentiment comes from people who just don't seem to have the exposure to knowing somebody who has it, who've gotten really sick and, you know, seems to see, you know, base their, their opinions on media reports or (laughs) whatever media they happen to be listening to. Um, So I think that just, just having some firsthand look uh, at, at how devastating it is for people, watching people. I mean, I've, I've certainly seen my share of very sick people with this, hearing about people who have died, who are friends, family members, uh, that changes people's mind pretty quickly. And, and I think that that sentiment, I, I actually, it, it was at the, you know, at the beginning of all this, it, it was more prevalent. I think we're seeing a lot less of it now because it just affects so many people that everybody knows somebody who's had it or died or gotten really sick. So I, I, I think that, um, we're, we're seeing a lot less of that today. Um, you know, I, I could get into the specifics, which is that this, this, I mean, this is one of the things I really try as a physician to make people understand, um, this disease has an infection fatality rate of about 0.5%. Okay. Does that sound so bad individually? No, it it actually does. That means your rate. I mean, just all comers. Ninety-nine point five percent of people will survive this disease if you get it. That sounds like hmm, that's not so bad. I mean, I guess my chances of survival are ninety-nine point five percent. Now, take that across an entire society. How many people are going to die if half a percent of people die? You're talking about a massive number of people that that are dead from this, and that's what I try to tell people when they come into the medical setting and they and they give me some of these sentiments. And I say you, you, you it sounds like a very low number, but now think about how many people are are dead from this and and ask yourself if that's okay so where does it fall with regard to say other things like car crashes okay Trust me, it's nowhere near half a percent it's It's like orders of magnitude away so the the chances of dying in a car crash are hundred times less than that or or less and and so bringing some of that. You know, in a in a in a humble way, and, and by listening to people, I've I've been able to tell them about why this sentiment is just simply false.
0: Yes, thank you, thank you so much. I, I, I appreciate your your answers being so thorough and and helpful because I know like a lot of a lot of conspiracy theories are thrown out there, right? And it, this works to uh, push forth uh, an inaccurate rhetoric that tends to leave people to think that they can do what they want and that we kind of forget that this pandemic, we're, in a, we're still in a pandemic, that it's over. Um, and, and, I, and I think it's very crucial, especially for folks to acknowledge that and think that it's, it isn't just about you. It's about the potential that you have to hurt somebody else, the potential that you have to, to get somebody really sick uh, and that's largely something that I think that in, in our American society is something we have to move away from. Uh, move away from the the I, I ideology, right? That it, if it doesn't personally affect me, then I'm fine. Uh, moving towards the fact that saying, you know what? This is affecting my society. And I can personally get somebody killed, sick or killed. And that's why I think it, it was such important, the, the message of hope that Rabbi Shmuley was giving us um, and, and to focus on, on letting other people know that we're going to be okay, but you need to pitch into this, right? Like you need to do your part, which is so important that we make sure that we wear a mask when we're out publicly, that we are uh, making sure that we are sanitizing uh, everything that we touch. And I don't know about y'all, but I have been increasingly paranoid about how many times I actually touch my face, (laughs) just to make sure that I'm not actively touching my face. Uh, Personally, my mother um, almost died because of COVID. And she was a person that thought this wasn't wasn't real. She thought that this wasn't going to really impact us. And then she got it and almost died. So this is very real and it's very close to us. And like you said, Dr. Amish, we all know somebody who's had it. Um, And unfortunately we're getting closer and closer to the numbers where we all know somebody who might've passed away or been close to it. And in Judaism, our Jewish spirit and our, our Jewish values really push us to be advocates for our community to stand up against anything that tries to dismantle or oppress more people. And we've seen that right now, historically black and brown communities are really feeling this pandemic. So it's our job to make sure that we are actively trying to support, which is why I love that we have our mask project where we are we have been handing out more than 2000 masks to our unsheltered community. And we're gonna continue to send more masks out. If you wanna find out more about that, look us up on uh, mat slash mass project. You'll find more information and in how to get involved there. I wanna give a huge thank you to our great friend, Dr. Amish Shah and my great friend uh, and mentor Shmuley, uh, and, uh, Rabbi Shmuley Yanklowitz for, for really grounding us in hope and Dr. Amish for giving us a, a real look on that, on the fact that we're still in a pandemic and it takes all our parts. It takes each and every one of us to keep our community safe I uh, thank you so much. Uh, yeah, Dr. Amis, you have closing.
2: I I, I want to yeah I I guess I just want to add just one thing. I we we just went cool. through an election and and um, you you can see it was contentious and and uh, I I want to add something. That those of us who do this um, get into the public sphere do it because we love the country and and to me the country is not the the land between the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans. The the country is the people that that inhabit this this place. And if you are really patriotic, you are out there caring for American people in their in their lives. That that to me is what 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 it's all about. You're there to serve and you're you're there to take care of those people's lives. And there's nothing more patriotic than we can that we can do than to do the things that we just talked about here to keep ourselves and other people safe. It, the the mentality that you know, I've got mine and, and, and that's good enough, or maybe with, for me and my family, and that's, that's good enough is, is not to me a patriotic sentiment. And if we're really serious about loving the United States of America and, and being patriotic, then we can do our little part um, to take care of one another and and be kind, be respectful and, and be good. And I, And I'll say that overwhelmingly the people of Arizona that I have seen are, on board with that.
0: Perfect. Thank thank you. Thank you so much.